chapter 6, verses uh, 1 through 7. You can follow along on the screen as I read uh, what Dr. Luke has to say from Acts chapter 6. Let's uh, share it together. In those days when the number of the disciples was increasing, the Hellenistic Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. So the twelve gathered all the disciples together and said, It would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. Brothers and sisters, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the spirit and wisdom. We will turn this responsibility over to them and we will give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the word. This proposal pleased the whole group, so they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit. Also Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Taman, Parmenas, and Nicholas from Antioch, a convert to Judaism. They presented these men to the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on them. So the word of God spread. The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly, and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. So we're going to look at that uh, passage in just a little bit and unpack that. Uh, but uh, let's, uh, let's pray. Lord, I thank you for your great faithfulness that we've just sung about pardon for sin and a peace that endures. And Lord, we just thank you for um, your faithfulness this morning, uh, faithfulness for another day, uh, faithfulness to be able to get out of bed, faithfulness to, uh, to, to come together this morning to worship you. And so we thank you for your great faithfulness to us, even when we are not faithful. Lord, we pray that uh, you would bless us as we look into your word this morning. May the Holy Spirit be our teacher. Lord, there are many needs here this morning. Lord, you know what they are. And Lord, we thank you that we can commit them to you. So bless us now, we pray, and we give you thanks and praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, if you have been with us uh, for a while, we, a number of months ago, decided to jump into the book of Acts, and uh, we were looking at the post-resurrection appearances of Jesus over Easter time and beyond, and that last one ended in the book of Acts, Acts chapter 1, and uh, decided, let's just keep going through uh, the book of Acts, and so uh, we're going to look at Acts chapter 6, but... Just a little background overview of the book of Acts. Really, the key verse is Acts chapter 1, verse 8. It really gives you the outline of the book. Uh, Acts 1, 8, we read these words, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. So the book of Acts is all about the power of the Holy Spirit. In fact, some people entitle the book the Acts of the Holy Spirit. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea and Samaria, and the ends of the earth. Well, there's the outline of the book right there. Uh, if you look at the book of Acts, uh, the first seven chapters, uh, eight chapters, focus on the ministry in Jerusalem. It's all about the church in Jerusalem. That's where Pentecost happened. That's where the church started. Then you go to Acts chapter about 8 through 12, and we see then the focus is on the gospel going to the surrounding areas, Judea and Samaria. Then you get to the rest of the book, chapters 13 through 28, half of the book, and that's the detail of the gospel going where? To the ends of the earth. And that's where we read about the Apostle Paul, and he takes three missionary journeys. And so Acts chapter 1 verse 8 is really the outline of 
of the book of Acts, Jerusalem, Judea and Samaria, and the ends of the earth. And so this morning, we're going to look at Acts chapter 6 and uh, look at the first seven verses. And if I was to give this message a title, I would entitle it Growing Pains. Do you ever remember when you're in junior high and you're trying to sleep at night? And I remember this, and my boys have said this, our grandkids have said this, my legs hurt, my legs hurt. So what do you, you tell your kids? Well, you're just having growing pains. You know, you're, you're going through a growth spurt. That doesn't just happen physically. That happens in a lot of areas of life. We have some friends, Franklin and Emily Moore. Had the privilege of marrying them uh, about 10 years ago or so. They live on the other side of the state. They're good friends with uh, uh, two of our sons and daughters-in-law. And uh, Franklin and Emily were blessed with a young boy named Sammy. And uh, Sammy, uh, about a year ago, Sammy was four years old, and Franklin and Emily were trying to think, well, you know, I think Sammy needs a, a sibling, you know. We don't want him to be an only child. And so uh, God bless Franklin and Emily. And when they went to that first ultrasound, they discovered there are three blessings in there. <laughs> And so about uh, nine or ten months ago, uh, Franklin and Emily welcomed three identical triplet girls to their family. And when they, when they found this out, man, they were like kind of freaking out a little bit. Like, we need a bigger car, we need a new house, we need all this. Because we're adding three to our family at, at one time. That happens in businesses, growing pains. And we're going to see this morning, it happened in the early church. And so let's look at the outline. We're going to start with the context. And what's happening is the church is growing, and it's growing rapidly. We can trace that through the book of Acts, Acts chapter 1, verse 15. There started out 120 in an upper room. Jesus told the disciples, don't leave Jerusalem. I want you to wait here for the Holy Spirit, for what is promised. And so we read in Acts chapter 1, verse 15, there were 120 in this upper room, and they were waiting for 10 days since the, post, uh, since the ascension of Jesus until Pentecost happened. And we start out with 120. Well, then Acts chapter 2, Pentecost happens. And you know what happened, that Peter preaches this great sermon. And 3,000 people begin to come into the church. And so now the church goes from 120 to 3,120. We come to Acts chapter 4, verse 4, and uh, we read these words that many people believed, Peter and John, so the number of people who believed grew to about 5,000. So now you go from 120 to 3,120 to 5,000, and the church is expanding rapidly, and with rapid growth comes change and comes some growing pains. And so we're going to look at some of these growing planes, and it starts in Acts chapter 6, verse 1, the second half, the complaint, the complaint. So here, here's, here's the complaint. Let me read it for you again, verse 1. In those days when the number of disciples was increasing, so the church is growing, the Hellenistic Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. So 
we need to understand what's going on here. Uh, the church is meeting the physical needs of people, uh, and specifically widows. Now, today in our culture, uh, there's, there's some safety net programs for widows. Back in the first century, one of the most vulnerable individuals would have been a widow. And so who stepped forward to take care of the widows? It was the church. That's why you read in 1 Timothy, I think it's chapter 5, they have an official widow's list. And if you qualify for this list, the church is going to take care of you. The church is going to meet your every need. So this is really, in Acts chapter 6, this is kind of the first Meals on Wheels program. (laughs) A church has this organized program of, of taking food to widows to meet their needs. But what happened is there were two groups of widows in the early church. There were the Hellenistic widows, and there were the Hebraic widows. Now, what's the difference there? Let me just uh, share it with you. Uh, The Hellenistic or Grecian Jews came from the outlying provinces beyond Palestine. They spoke Koine Greek because their native lands had been conquered centuries earlier by Alexander the Greek, or the Great, that spoke Greek. (laughs) Alexander the Greek, the Great Greek. Um, So there was a whole, they were a whole different culture. They spoke a different language. And, and they came from a different culture where the Hebraic Jews were from the, the Palestine. They were from the, that area. They spoke Aramaic. And so you have two different languages. You have two different cultures. And what was happening is the Hellenistic Jews maybe were getting a little short on the deliveries. And they're saying, hey, you're showing favoritism toward the Hebraic widows. And so they begin to complain that the Hebraic widows were getting, what, preferential treatment. And so that was the complaint. Well, let's keep going in the text here. Here's the communication, and uh, this, is, this is how the problem was solved. And so the 12 apostles go into problem-solving mode. Maybe they had a board meeting. Maybe they had a prayer meeting. But they're like, okay, we've got a problem here, and so how can we solve this problem? And here's what happens. This is the 12 gathered, that's the 12 apostles, all the disciples together, and said, it would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the Word of God in order to wait on tables. So the apostles are saying, um, you know, this is not a preferential problem, this is a personnel problem. We don't have enough people to to meet all of these needs of the growing church and this Meals on Wheels program. But the apostle says it wouldn't be right for us to neglect what God's called us to do to do that, to get involved. So here's the solution. Brothers and sisters, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom. We will turn this responsibility over to them. And we will give ourselves and our attention to prayer and to the ministry of the Word of God. There's their solution. They have a a prayer meeting. They have a meeting. Then they call all the disciples together and say, okay, here's how we're going to solve this problem. I want you to choose seven men. And here are the qualifications. Number one, full of the Holy Spirit. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, that should describe you and me this morning. 
Ephesians 5.16, keep on being what? Filled with the Spirit. It's not a matter of the, getting more of the Holy Spirit. It's a matter of allowing the Holy Spirit to have more influence in our life. It's not a self-directed life. It's a Spirit-led, directed life. And that should characterize our lives as believers because Ephesians 5.16 is a command. So I want you to find seven men whose lives are influenced and controlled by the Spirit of God. And I also want you to find seven men who are full of wisdom, godly wisdom. James 1.3 is a great verse. James says, does any of you lack wisdom? Let him ask of God who gives to all men generously. You got a problem you're, you're, you're wrestling with? You got some issues in your life that are bothering you? What's the first thing you need to do? God, would you give me wisdom? I need your wisdom for this problem. And so it's uh, two qualifications, full of the Holy Spirit, full of wisdom. And those are two key qualifications, character traits for church leadership and for anybody that's involved in ministry. Boy, do we need the Spirit of God to guide and direct us. Boy, do we need God's wisdom. I remember, this is years ago, our first church assignment was in Strongsville, Ohio, suburb of Cleveland. I was associate pastor there for four years, and we had a board of seven men. And uh, what was interesting was... um, and, and we, would, we would actually take votes on issues and do that democratically. And I, I noticed, like, why is there never a unanimous vote on the board? Because there was always one fella, let's call him Al, that was his name. <laughs> there was one fella that always voted, the votes were always six to one. And so finally, like, how come you always vote no? He says, I don't think there should ever be a unanimous vote on a church board. And I'm thinking, with that attitude, you are, should not even be on the church board. Uh, seven men full of what? Full of wisdom, full of the Holy Spirit. And I want you to turn this responsibility over to them because the apostles said our main duty as spiritual leaders is what? Prayer and the ministry of God's, God's word. So that's what they communicated to the, the early church and... Uh, Let's see what happened here, the choosing. Look at verse 5. This proposal pleased the whole group. Everybody was happy with that. And now we read the names here. They chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas from Antioch, a convert to Judaism. What's interesting, and the commentators point this out, guess what? Those seven names are all Greek names. So who's, who's complaining? The Hellenistic widows are complaining. And who do they choose to then help out with this ministry? They choose seven Greek Jews who are not going to, you know, be, who are going to make sure there's no impartiality to the Hellenistic widows that are getting overlooked. They made sure there was going to be no preferential treatment. So here we are, these seven men, and uh, some commentators look at these as the first deacons in in a church. Uh, The word there, wait on tables, is really the word for uh, to serve. It's the word uh, diakonos, 
And so these seven men come in and they help with this ministry of providing food for the, for the widows. And the uh, problem is solved. Well, next what happens is the commissioning. Verse 6, they presented these men to the apostles. What did they do? They prayed over them and laid hands on them. I, I love that. It's, it's like, it's a commissioning. Okay, you're, you're going to help with God's work. Uh, we've chosen you seven men to help. And so now the, the church comes around them. They lay their hands on them and they pray over them that God would bless them and help them in this important ministry of meeting the physical needs of the widows of the day. I don't know if you've ever had anybody lay hands on you and pray for you. I have on several occasions in my life. I want to tell you, it is a powerful experience. It is a, it is a uniting experience uh, to have uh, believers gather around you, put their hands on you, and, and pray for your needs. It's actually a, a biblical experience. Here's, if we fast forward to Acts chapter 13, that Paul and Barnabas on their first missionary journey, um, the church at Antioch uh, it says, while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. So they're going to go out on this first missionary journey. So after they had fasted and prayed, they laid hands on them and sent them off. And so the whole church gathers around Paul and Barnabas, prays for them, puts their hands on them, and then commissions them to do God's work. This past uh, Summer at Maranatha, there is a mission. There's a missionary group called Tacticus. Tacticus is a missionary-driven group that ministers to police forces all all over the world, and uh, they're making inroads. and uh, And the, the leader of the ministry was a, was a police officer in Kalamazoo, and he started this ministry called Tacticus. and And now God's doing great things in uh, several places around the world in uh, sharing the gospel and reaching out to to uh, our police force. And boy, do they need our prayer if someone's in law enforcement in this this day and age. But uh, uh, at at Maranatha this last week, Tacticus had a young couple from Costa Rica, and they were going to oversee the ministry of Tacticus in, in Costa Rica in our last service there, they had this young couple um, come forward to the front of the, the tabernacle there, and the entire congregation uh, came around them, and we laid hands on them and hands on the shoulder and the person in front of you, and, and we, we prayed for them, that God would bless them, and God would use this couple to, to go to Costa Rica and make an impact for the gospel. I remember, this is 30 years ago at Moody Pastors Conference, I was going through a period in my life in ministry where I was uh, struggling big time. And at the close of that service, it wasn't just me, it was any pastor that was there, but uh, the, applic- the invitation was, that if, if you want to be prayed for, just stand up where you are. And, and he says, if the pastors that are around you, go around this person and just lay your hands on them and pray for them. I remember I was in the balcony of Torrey Gray Auditorium, I stood up and seven or eight pastors came around me, put their hands on me, and prayed for me. It was a powerful moment. This last summer at Maranatha, I had the privilege of baptizing 20 people in Lake Michigan. 
And after every one of those baptisms, I would bring them out of the water. There were usually a, a, maybe 30 or 40 people that were there watching, and we would all gather around this person. We would put our hands on them, pray for them, and then we'd sing the song, I've decided to follow Jesus. It was a powerful moment. That's what they're, that's what they're doing here. They're, they're commissioning these men to go out into service and to go out into ministry. And so they commission them. And what's the result? What's the consequences? That's the last uh, part of our outline here. Verse 7, here's what happened. So the word of God spread. The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly, and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. So because there's, there's more people helping in the ministry, because the apostles said no to something that was good but was not their priority, the word of God spread, and the church continued to grow. Well, that's uh, Acts chapter 6, and uh, uh, the story of really the first uh, church helpers or church deacons that were elected uh, out of this problem of, um, of serving widows' meals. Well, this morning we want to think about three life lessons just in our last 10 or 15 minutes here that we can uh, think about and apply to our lives from... Uh, from the book of Acts and the story in Acts chapter 6. And here's the first one that we need to grasp from this uh, text here. Here's the first one. It's the vital importance of right priorities. So all of us have priorities in life. Whether or not we've verbalized them, whether or not we've written them down, but as we look at our schedule, how we spend our time, how we spend our, our finances, that reveals what's important to us. And one of the lessons from this text is the vital importance of having what? Right priorities. Someone has said, the main thing is to keep the main thing the main thing. And that's what the apostles did. It been very easily for the apostles uh, uh, to um, get involved in this Meals on Wheels program, but what did they say? Verse, verse 2, they said, it would not be right for us, what? To neglect the ministry of the word of God in prayer. And so you seven men come help, and what are we going to do? We're going to give our attention to what? Prayer and the ministry of the word. And so one of the things that we need to learn in our lives, and this is hard for me because I tend to be a people pleaser, I had to learn to say the word No. <laughs> You know, because there's lots of opportunities for stuff in life. And we're all bombarded with choices and opportunities to do things. But what will be our guiding light is if we have uh, our priorities in, in, in order. And this is going to be our guiding light. Quite frankly, that, um, those priorities that, that I established in seeking God's guidance in, in our lives led us to leave our first church. Because I was an associate pastor, and this is back 35, 40 years ago, and the thinking was the more times you went to church, the more spiritual you are, which is not, not true. But we had something going on every night of the week almost, and we, I had a young family, and the way the calendar fell, for the first 16 nights of a month, I was gone doing things at the church, and I was neglecting my family. 
And I made the decision that I'm not going to sacrifice my family for the ministry because my family is my first ministry. There's a fellow, and I can't think of his, uh, his name will, will come to me, but he's, he started a, a ministry to, to families, travels all over the United States, um, giving seminars and talking about family life. And he was serving in a church, and it was a large church, and he was a youth pastor, and he had like, uh, he had like five kids, and uh, I've heard him tell this story. His young three-year-old boy, they're walking, uh, through the church hallway and get to his office and a three-year-old young boy says, Daddy, is this where you live? Is this where you live? And God used that question from a three-year-old boy for our friend to evaluate, like, you know, what am I doing here? Where are my priorities? And am I neglecting my own family to minister to other people? The vital importance of right priorities, they're, they're crucial in our lives. And they're crucial for the church. Well, what is the priority of the church? Well, Paul gives it to us in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 3 and 4. For what I received, I pass on to you of first importance. Here's the main thing. First importance. What is it? It's the gospel. That Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. What's the priority for the church? It's to proclaim what? The good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That all of us are sinners and that the only way to heaven is through Jesus' death on the cross for our sin debt. And when we put our faith and trust in him and him alone for our sins, we pass from death to life. That's called the good news. That's why Paul writes in Romans, Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God. Now there's no condemnation to those that are in Jesus Christ. Because when Jesus, when God looks at us, he looks at us now in the body of Christ. He looks at us as just as if we've never sinned because the perfection of Christ gets credited to our account. And that's the good news of the gospel. Uh, priorities are vitally important. Is there a place to meet the physical needs of people? Yes. Uh, is our social needs important? Yes. But never to take priority over the mission of the church, which is to proclaim the gospel and to make disciples. Uh, Matthew chapter 28. How about the priority of our own spiritual lives? I love Proverbs 4.23. Solomon writes, above all else, here, here's something very important, above all else, guard your heart for everything you do flows from it. What's the scripture saying? You better take inventory of what's inside. You better guard your heart. You better protect your heart because out of your heart flows everything. And our hearts can grow cold. Our hearts can grow bitter. We need to guard our hearts. That's why Paul writes to the Philippians and he says, I want you to think about these things, things that are true, things that are honest, things that are just. Fill your mind and your eye gate with good things, with positive things, with God's truth. How about the priority in our families? The marriage relationship is the top priority over the children. And so this is, this is difficult because we get involved in child raising and our lives get very, very busy. And I remember that we've been there. 
But you better be taking those date nights. You better be making sure that your relationship with your spouse is the priority relationship over the kids. And so what often happens in marriage is that the kids uh, eventually leave the nest and then you have two strangers looking at each other that don't even know each other or like each other. And so that marriage relationship needs to be prioritized. Uh, How about priorities in parenting? Chip Ingram in his book, Effective Parenting in a Defective World, and I've shared this definition many times. What's the goal of parenting? What are we shooting for? Chip Ingram says, success in parenting is when my children transfer their primary love, submission, and obedience from me to Jesus Christ. That's what we're, that's what we're aiming at. That they'll transfer their primary love, submission, obedience from mom and dad by the time they leave the nest. To Jesus Christ. Well, right priorities uh, is, uh, is vitally important. Uh, secondly, life lesson number two, leadership and ministry involves two key traits. And we've already mentioned them because they're right from the text, uh, being full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom. So what do we need to be reminded of, of that, that passage we already mentioned, Ephesians chapter 5, keep on being filled with the Spirit. Allow the Holy Spirit to have control of your life. Uh, What's going to be some of the evidences of that? Well, there's nine character traits of the Spirit's involvement in our lives in Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 and 23. They're known as the fruit of the Spirit, but the fruit of the Spirit is love. And joy and peace and forbearance and kindness and goodness and faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. So there's going to be some, some marks in our life that when the Holy Spirit is, is in control, we're going to be experiencing love, peace, joy, gentleness, kindness, goodness. When we're in control, the, the opposite comes out there. There is a battle in the Christian life between the battle of the flesh and the battle of the spirit. Paul writes about it in Romans 7. He says, the things I want to do, I don't do. And the things that I know I should do, I'm not doing. And he says, oh, wretched man that I am. So if the Apostle Paul had some struggles in his life, we probably do as well. And it's a battle for control. And the answer is to allow the Spirit of God to fill us. And that happens through prayer. And that happens through reading God's Word. And that happens through, through yielding our lives to, to Him seeking his guidance and his direction. And then wisdom, wisdom. Oh, wisdom is so key, and it's, it's all through Scripture. We read about it in Proverbs chapter 4. The author of Proverbs writes these familiar words from Proverbs chapter 4. Get wisdom, get understanding. Do not forsake wisdom. She will protect you. Love her and she will watch over you. The beginning of wisdom is this. Get wisdom, though it costs all you have, get understanding. And so the first nine chapters of the book of Proverbs is like a father talking to his son and saying, I I want you to get God's wisdom. And wisdom is found not just in knowledge and facts, but it's in knowing um, the, the application of God's truth to everyday life. And so uh, leadership and ministry involves two key traits. 
uh, being filled with the Holy Spirit and being filled with God's wisdom. Well, lastly, and we'll land the plane here this morning, life lesson number three, when the body of Christ is fully functioning and using their spiritual giftedness, the church grows. The church grows. It grows numerically and it grows in maturity in in Jesus. And that's what happened in Acts chapter 6, verse 7. When these other men got involved in the ministry, what's the result? So the word of God spread. The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased. And a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. When the body of Christ is fully functioning and using their spiritual giftedness, the church grows. Interesting when you do a study in the Bible on spiritual gifts. And uh, the scriptures tell us very clearly from Ephesians chapter 4, Romans chapter 12, and 1 Peter chapter 4 that every believer has a spiritual gift. Uh, I printed out a handout. There's just about a half a dozen of them on the ministry table. It's a little study on, on spiritual gifts, and so if you want to pick one up this morning, be a good follow-up to the message this morning. But here's the introduction, some introductory truths about spiritual gifts. Each believer has a spiritual gift and possibly more than one. Spiritual gifts are received at the moment of one's conversion. This is Ephesians chapter 4 he's basically making commentary on. The gifts are given for ministry and for the edification or building up of the body of Christ. The believer controls the use of his or her gift and is therefore responsible for its use or non-use. Like natural abilities, spiritual gifts can be developed and and matured. Spiritual gifts can be used with wrong motives, without love for others. 1 Corinthians 13, Paul talks about that. Though I have all these gifts and I don't do it in love, I'm like a a gong or a, a, a brass cymbal. It has to be done in love. The first step to recognizing one's spiritual giftedness is to understand the gifts themselves. Three primary passages, Ephesians 4, Romans 12, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, uh, lay out these gifts. So you can pick up that handout and perhaps take a look at that. But my question to you this morning, and, and, and this will be a preparatory question, do you know what your gift is? Do you know what your spiritual gift is? I remember years ago, um, I think it was our one of our sons, maybe our oldest son, and we were, we were transitioning him from public school to Lenawee Christian School. He was in about sixth grade, and we went to the interview with the principal, and I was kind of trying to prep him for this interview, like, okay, they're going to ask you some questions, maybe they'll ask you this, maybe they'll ask you that. And uh, so we, we were sitting in this interview, and at the end of the little uh, interview for, uh, to go to Lenawee Christian School, I remember the principal, Mr. Howard, uh, called on our son to close the meeting in prayer. <laughs> and for a sixth grader, that was a little intimidating. And, and I left that meeting like, man, I, I wish I should have, I should have prepared him better. I should have like given him a, a hint that m- maybe that was on the radar screen. Well, 
I'll give you a little hint this morning. When you stand before the judgment seat of Christ someday, and if you're a believer, we'll all stand there, one of the questions he's going to ask you is, what was your spiritual gift? Do you know what it is? And number two, how did you use it? Did you use the giftedness that I gave you to what? Build the kingdom of God and build up the body of Christ. And when everyone is using their giftedness, then the body of Christ grows. And I'm so thankful for many people at Community Bible Church that know their giftedness and have, are, are using it. Those that have the gift of teaching in a, in a Monday night Bible study, in an adult Sunday school class, in a ladies Bible study on Tuesday morning, and in many other areas. I'm so thankful for the Beyond Awana program that we've, it's gone strong all, all summer long. But that takes someone with the gift of uh, administration and overseeing and, and I'm so thankful for uh, people that have been, come forward and are using their gifts and their talents and their abilities to, to make that program work. I'm so thankful for people who are willing to serve, whether it's maintaining the church grounds, being a, being a, a greeter at the front door, uh, working and producing the bulletin every week, the PowerPoint presentation, and on and on we can go. Uh, that's the gift of, of serving. I'm so thankful for the gift of giving, that many of you have a priority to support the work of God and uh, in our local church and enable us to support missionaries around the world and uh, to make a difference for God's kingdom because you have the gift of giving. Well, the vital importance of priorities. And um, we're glad that you're here this morning. It shows that you have a priority to, to worship God and I trust that our priorities are going to be God-given and God-directed. I trust this morning that <clears throat> you're uh, not living a self-directed life, but allowing the Spirit of God to direct you, to guide you, <clears throat> and to move you. And then, lastly, so thankful for people here that are using their giftedness so our church can function, so that our church can grow, so that people can be reached, not only within our local community here, but around the world through missions. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you that we can look into your word and the spirit of God can speak to our hearts this morning. Lord, I pray that uh, just in the close of this service and the quietness of this moment that you would... Uh, just help us to take inventory of our priorities and ask the question, are we living for self or are we living for God and his kingdom? We think of the words of Jesus in Matthew 6, seek first the kingdom of God and all these other things will be added unto you. Lord, may we put you in first place in our time, in our talent, in our treasure. Lord, give us... Uh, yeah, may the Spirit of God uh, lead and guide and direct our lives and the decisions that we make. Lord, may we seek your wisdom and your guidance through your word and perhaps even through godly counsel. And Lord, I pray that as we uh, recognize that you have blessed us with a gift, Lord, help us to be determined to, to discover it and to develop it, but most of all to deploy it, to use it to build your kingdom and for your glory. And Lord, we will thank you. 
and give you the praise in Jesus' name. Amen.